Let's go ahead and look at John chapter 3, 1 through 15 is our passage for this morning. John chapter 3, 1 through 15. Here it is. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, uh, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. And do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can these things be, Nicodemus uh, asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I told you, if I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And this is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that we can, we can gather together, Lord God, to experience what we read about here and also in Isaiah 35, the new life, the good life, the resurrected life, the renewed life through the power of your Spirit in Christ. Lord, and you, you make dead people come alive when your word is preached, but you also continue to restore us and renew us as those who believe in Jesus. We ask, as we sang, that your Holy Spirit would come in power like a rising flood and do all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, if you're new with us this morning, uh, we're in a teaching series called Good Life, where we are looking at the Gospel of John, the book of John uh, in the Bible. He was a, one of Jesus' closest followers, and we've titled uh, the series Good Life because one of the main themes in the book of John, things that he refers to over and over again, is eternal life. Okay? Now, eternal life is not necessarily life without end. Okay? It just goes on forever, forever, forever. It is that, right? But when John talks about uh, eternal life, he's talking about heaven on earth. He's talking about heaven touching down on earth. We've already saw that in the book of John. Jesus said, you know, on me, you're going to see angels ascending and descending. He's... He's the heavenly hotspot uh, on earth where we can connect with God, where heaven connects uh, with earth. Another way to say it is eternal life is the way that life was intended to be all along, the way that God created things and made things to be. It's a restoration. And the good life is a peaceful life. We'll see that. Jesus talks about that later on, right? He says, my peace I give to you. Um, and peace in the Bible is... Everything in harmony, right? Uh, harmony with one another, harmony with 
the natural world or the creation in harmony with God. Everything working properly. That's peace in the Scriptures, right? I came across this video uh, last week of a celebrity uh, who said that he talked with uh, a lot of people over the holidays, and he asked them this question right here. If I were to say, let's make 2024 the year of blank, what would you say? And he said he was surprised that every single person that he asked said, sanity. <laughs> let's make 2024 the year of sanity, right? That sounds good to me. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know about you guys, but he, he was basically saying, listen, everyone thinks we've gone bonkers. Right? Everyone thinks uh, that the world has gone um, nuts. And that's, that's probably true, right? Uh, but what is sanity? What is sanity? Here's the definition for you. Sanity is behaving in a way considered to be normal or rational. Sanity, a little bit of, uh, uh, like a hefty dose of sanity in our world would be pretty nice, wouldn't it? I would take that. I don't know about you. I look around. I mean, I try to stay informed, and it seems pretty nuts. Right? Uh, a lot of things. Uh, but So here's what we're going to look at first. Sanity is good. Sanity is a good thing. Sanity is a good thing. All right, let's look at uh, John chapter 3, 1 and 2. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. Rabbi just means teacher. Uh, who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs that you do unless God were with him. So, this is one of the more well-known stories uh, in the Bible. This conversation that Jesus has with this man, Nicodemus. And uh, now, if you, would have, uh, if you were to ever meet Nicodemus, you would have probably thought, man, this dude right here, this guy's pretty sane. He seems to be uh, pretty uh, normal, rational, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. He was a Pharisee. Uh, the Pharisees were this uh, powerful uh, Jewish group, and a lot of the Pharisees opposed Jesus, but not all of them, right? We can see that here. He, this guy's coming to have a, a conversation uh, with Jesus, and um, they loved the Bible. Their aim was to purify Israel through observing the Scriptures, right? They wanted to bring the, the, the Bible to bear on, on all of um, uh, life. So Nicodemus was a good guy. Uh, he, was a, he was a decent man. He was a good man, right? He uh, was a moral person. He wasn't out like selling drugs and robbing people and um, drinking and driving or anything like that. He was a, he was a good guy. He, was, he would have been a moral person. Uh, marriage was normal for the Pharisees. So Nicodemus was probably a family man, probably had wife, kids, all that. That was probably a big um, value of his. Nicodemus was no doubt proud of his nation. He was proud to be an Israelite. He, he was a Jew. And uh, he loved his people and he loved his, he loved his land. Right? Sounds, pretty, sounds pretty sane to me. Um, one of the things that I like about our community, right, and I think I was talking with someone about this this morning, is we have a little bit of sanity here, right? Thank God for that. I have been other places and they're not quite as sane <laughs> as our community. You know, I have lived in the city, right? And I still have friends there, and they tell me stories about things that they see and the things that are going on. It's, it's um, not always rational or, or, or normal, right? Um, our community experiences some sanity because there, there's a lot of decent people in our community, isn't there? 
Yeah, they, there are. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to say that. We live in a good place, a good community, right? Um, and uh, thank God for that. That is a reason to thank God and to, and to praise God. Folks got morals around here, right? I'm not saying everybody, right? Um, but a lot of people got good morals, right? No lying and hard work ethic and integrity and, you know, all these different, different things. Uh, they, got, they believe in right and wrong. And family is important to people around here, uh, isn't it? That's a big value that we have, family. Um, focusing on your family, taking care of your family. Um, uh, if you're an American here in the room, I assume everybody's an American. Uh, we're proud to be Americans here. We're patriotic. You know, that's something that we, we, we celebrate, we take pride in, and we believe in God. Uh, I would say most people in our community believe in the God of the Bible. That's my experience, right? Uh, uh, so th this is our community. This is the sanity of our, of our community. Um, there's a Christian country artist. Her name is uh, Ann Wilson. Anybody listen to her? Yeah, she's pretty, she's pretty. I like her. She's pretty good. Uh, my, girls, my girls really like her, too. Um, she's got a song, God and Country. It's a great example of what I'm talking about. Here, here's, here's a line to that song. I think we got it here. I'm hallelujah, hands high, and friends in low places. Red, white, and blue, patriotic, and red letter pages, Bible. All right, so she's proud to be an American, but she's also very thankful uh, for her Bible. See, this is sanity. This is a good thing. We want to praise God for it, but it's not enough, according to Jesus. Sanity is not enough. That's the second thing we're going to look at. Sanity is not enough. So Nicodemus seems here in our passage to be intrigued about Jesus. He's curious about Jesus. And he comes to Jesus, and he brings all of his sanity to Jesus. And look at what Jesus says to him in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. So, Nicodemus seems pretty sane, he seems pretty normal, rational, but Jesus says, you need something beyond your sanity. You need something way more than your sanity, and there's actually a clue in our passage that says that Nicodemus um, came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus uh, in stealth, in secrecy, all right? He was probably uh, a little embarrassed about his, his uh, curiosity about Jesus. Why do you think John includes that detail, that he came to him at night. Well, as we've been talking about in the book of John, like there's, there's almost always layers of meaning going on in John. Night in John can also mean spiritual darkness. You just, I challenge you, go look up every reference to the word night in the book of, of John. See, see what you see. So when Judas betrayed Jesus and he handed him over to, uh, to the authorities and they murdered him, when he betrayed him, it says, and it was night. Right? So John is saying to us that Nicodemus was a good man, but he was in spiritual darkness. Right? He was a decent man, he was a sane man, but he was still in spiritual uh, darkness. I have a wood furnace at the house, and uh, whenever I go out and uh, dump the ashes at nighttime, I take my flashlight. Right? You never know what's out there. Right? I want to know what's outside my house. It could be a panther out there or something. You know? You know? People say there's panthers in Morgan County, right? But I think it's just big, big uh, cats that they're getting on their little trail cams. But anyway, um, 
Hey, I want to know what's out there. Nicodemus did not know what was out there. He did not know who the man was that was standing right in front of him. Nicodemus says, teacher. Right? He thought him and Jesus was like on the same level. Nicodemus was a teacher. Okay, we're on the same level. Let's have a conversation here. He did not know who the man was standing right. He did not know that it was the eternal God in the flesh right in front of him. Darkness is one of the ways the Bible describes sane people without Jesus. So you can be completely sane and not know Jesus and be in spiritual darkness. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul is praising God here. He says, he has, God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. See, this is what it means to be a Christian. It means that our community is divided between those who are in the domain of darkness and those who are in the kingdom of Jesus. This room right now is divided between those of you who are in the domain of darkness and those of you who belong to the kingdom of Jesus. See, without Jesus, we are all in spiritual darkness. Right? You can be a good person, you can be a religious person, right? And just like Nicodemus, be in the dark. Right? He was a good person. He, listen, Nicodemus loved the Bible way more than anybody in this room. Pretty, pretty sure about that. He was into it deep. You can have common sense, you can have all the sanity that you want, but not spiritual sense like Nicodemus. Jesus tells him, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, is a, he's a rational guy. He's an unreasonable guy. Look at, what, look at what Nicodemus says in verse th- uh, 4. Look at this. How can anyone be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his uh, mother's womb for a second time? Well, that's completely rational. How is this going to happen? How am I supposed to be born again when I've already been born uh, once? Well, how is this supposed to uh, work? He did not get it. So for all of his sanity, he did not know what Jesus was talking about because he was in the darkness. He was lost. I went out to start my, my zero turn recently. I went out there, sat on it, cranked it over, click, 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 click. That's all I got. Unless you're born again, unless you truly know Jesus, that's all you got in your spiritual life. You got some clicks. Right? Our sanity without Jesus is like a dead battery. Right? We don't have any power. We, we, we don't know Him. Right? Sanity without Jesus really isn't that sane, to be honest with you. Because Jesus got some whole different definitions of sanity than we do. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9 puts it like this. Verse 3. There is an evil that is done under the sun. And there is one fate for everyone. In addition, look at this. The hearts of people are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. You see that? Madness is in their hearts while they live. So we can have all the sanity in the world, but there still be madness in our hearts. And that's why we got to be born again. That's why you must be born again. And that's the last thing I want to see here. You must be born again. Look at, look at what uh, Jesus says in verse 5-7. through seven. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. 
Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Look at this. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. Jesus' words, not mine. You must be born again. So Jesus says here, you've got to be born of the water and the Spirit. What is he talking about? What does that mean, born of the water and, and the Spirit? Well, he is, he is referring to uh, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, a guy named Ezekiel. He wrote a whole book. It's pretty wild, right? Go home and read it this afternoon. It'll be very encouraging to you. Um, but anyway, um, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 to 27 is what Jesus is talking about here. And Nicodemus should have known this because he knew the Bible. Look what it says in Ezekiel uh, chapter 36. Here it is. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And this is God speaking through Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will place my spirit within you and uh, cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So, Jesus... um, Referring to this passage in Ezekiel chapter 36 about what he says he's going to do, what Jesus says he's going to do, you must be born again through his life and his ministry, means that that book of Ezekiel, that passage in Ezekiel, is ultimately about Jesus. Everything that you read in Ezekiel chapter 36 through 7, the dry bones, all that, is referring to what's going to happen through the Christ that has already begun. Right? And... Um, Jesus is talking here about something that's got to happen to you. It's something that, that God must do to you. It must happen in your life or there is no spiritual life. And the first thing is there's got to be a cleansing. Go back to verse 25. Now go back to verse 25. Look at this. One more. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. See that? There's a cleansing that must take place. A couple weeks ago at uh, our community group meeting, we all got there and we're getting ready to eat and have a great time and uh, my sewer backed up, right? So I I told everybody and I was like, well, you guys can grab a bite to eat and then head on home, except nobody left, thank God, because they helped me dig up my septic tank, right? And so uh, all the guys went home and got the shovels and, um, you know, the rubber boots and everything, and, and, and we all got nasty out there together, right? So we, d- we dug up my, my septic, and we moved the lid, and I had a flashlight, and I'm in there looking around trying to investigate the problem, and then all of a sudden this big dirt clod fell into the tank. Now, I think it was malicious. I think someone kicked that dirt clod. But anyway, it fell into the liquid, and um, need to say, I got a little filth on myself, okay? And, uh, yeah, I needed a good cleansing. Yeah. So here is the point with all that. We need to be cleansed from all of our filth, from all of our sin, from all of our impurities. And, and look what Ezekiel says there, and from your idols. That is our main problem in life. Idols. Now, I know you probably ain't got no trinkets at your house that you got up on a shelf that you bow down and worship and you burn incense to. Maybe you do. If you do, you need to knock it off and burn them. But here's what you do have, even if you are a Christian, things that you love more than God. 
Things that you want more than Him. Things that enslave you and that you obey and you give your devotion to other than Him. Things that grip your heart. Things that if you don't get, you sin. And you sin to get them. Those are idols. So we need to be cleansed from all these things, right? This is what it means to be born again. Uh, second, there is a renewing that takes place. Go to uh, verse next, next slide. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you uh, a heart of flesh. Keep going. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So, the renewal that take, must take place in our life is the removal of a hard heart. Proud heart, stubborn heart, and replacing it with a heart that is receptive, teachable, humble, willing, and obedient. And notice all of this happens because God says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. That's how it goes down. And look at the transformation this causes. The transformation of this cleansing, restoration, and renewal is that God will cause us to walk in His statutes and be careful to obey um, His rules. So the transformation that takes place in your life is, is one time in your life, you did not care about God's Word or His commandments. You didn't give one cent about that, right? But now you're like, God, tell me what to do. I want to do everything that you tell me to do. That's what it looks like. And here's the point. You cannot do any of it on your own. You cannot lift one finger to be born again. If there was such a thing called, uh, as a spiritual echocardiogram, you, know, you guys know what an echocardiogram is? The little thing, beep, beep, you know? I don't even know if they still have it. But anyway, that thing, right? If there was one, without being born again, without Jesus, we would all be flatlined. We would all be beep. That's how everybody comes into the world. Spiritually dead, according to the Scriptures. Right? Which means that we are unable to give ourselves spiritual life on our, on our own. Being from a good family cannot revive you spiritually. Being a decent, moral person will not Narcan you. Being religious right, is insufficient to bring you back. Going to church won't resuscitate you. Having national pride or whoever you vote for or being a part of a political party or political affiliation cannot give you spiritual CPR. You must be born again. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. You can't do it. That's what Jesus said. Look at John chapter 3, verse 8. Look at this. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus gives us a helpful illustration here, which is wind. Right? And we all know about wind. Which, by the way, the word wind in both Hebrew, first part of the Bible, Greek, second part of the Bible, the words for wind and spirit are the same words. Which is very appropriate that Jesus uses wind as an illustration. I had to uh, repair some siding at my house recently because the wind was ripping through there and just flung it off, right? 
So I had to go up there and, and fix that, right? So we see the, the, uh, the wind did that. Have any of you guys been able to stop the wind recently? You've been out, and you, no, you haven't been able to? Yeah, out in your yard, you've been like, wind, you ain't going any farther. Right? You're not going to rip the siding off my house anymore. Right? You can't do that, can you? Because right? the wind is sovereign. Right? The wind does whatever it wants to do. It does whatever it pleases. You can't control it. So does the Spirit. The only thing that we can do is see what the wind does. The only thing that we can do is see what the Spirit does. And that's how it works when someone is born again. Man, uh, wasn't yesterday nice? I mean, I, I, was outside. I had my shirt off yesterday. This is February. I was like, what in the world? It was hot outside. I was outside working. Right? It felt great. But it was a little foretaste of uh, spring. It's coming. Spring's coming. Isn't it nice in the spring where you can like open your windows and let the breeze blow through and you hear the sound of it and you feel that warm breeze? It's just, it's just nice, right? So the Spirit... The Holy Spirit also has a window that he blows through, right, into the lives of people, and that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news about who Jesus is and what he has accomplished through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And this is what Jesus says right here in this passage. Look at it, verses 9 through 15. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus? Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied, truly I tell you, we speak what we know and testify to what we've seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, Jesus, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So, our boy Nick here, Nick uh, did not get it. He did not understand. But Jesus says, all right, I'm going to share the gospel with you anyway. Right? You're confused. Let me tell you about who I am and what I came to do. So first of all, Jesus explains to him um, who he is, that he's the one who descended to earth, right? that he came down. And we, we have already been looking at this in the book of John. Remember the story of Nathaniel, right, when... Um, Jesus blows Nathaniel's mind and said, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? Matter of fact, I'm the heavenly hotspot where heaven and earth uh, touch, where heaven and earth, right? We already know that, that Jesus is the eternal word of God, right? He is um, the unchangeable God. He is the God through whom the entire universe came into being and that was created, right? Jesus, the word of God, means he is the explanation of everything. He's the truth. That's what words do. They explain things. They communicate. They express. Jesus is the explanation of the one true and living God in the flesh who became a man on our behalf. Second, Jesus is referring to another story in the Bible here. In the Old Testament, in the first five books of the Bible, in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 21. And here's the story. Right? Uh, God had brought the Israelites out of slavery by the hand of Moses, and they were out there in the desert whining, moaning, complaining, ungrateful, being disobedient, hard-hearted, hard-headed. So God sent a bunch of rattlesnakes in there to bite them. 
I don't know if they're rattlesnakes, but he sends some poisonous snakes in there uh, to nibble on them a little bit, and uh, they changed their mind. Once they started getting bit by the snakes, uh, they repented, and they began to call out to the Lord, and the Lord said, all right, here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to make a snake image, put it on a pole, lift it up. Whoever looks at the snake will be healed. They will recover, and that's what happened. That's very strange, isn't it? Snake pole. Right? Here's what's going on. The way to recover from the poison of God's judgment is a symbol of the judgment itself. That's what was on the pole. Moses lifted up the snake pole, and on the pole was a symbol of God's judgment itself. On the tree, the tree was a judgment tree. And, and the thing on the tree was God's judgment himself. So Jesus, again, just like Ezekiel says, that's about me. That story was just a shadow of what I came to do. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man. Jesus is referring to himself here. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Right? And when Jesus says he's going to be lifted up, he's talking about the cross. If you look at the book of John and Jesus says this, he's got to be lifted up. He's talking about his death on the cross. And if you want to recover yourself from the deadly snake bite of sin, then you must look to Jesus on the cross who was bitten for you and died for you. I mean, I'm sure if we surveyed the room, someone's been bitten by a poisonous snake in here. But what would you do if you got bit by a rattlesnake? Would you just go inside and eat a bag of chips and sit on the couch? You would seek immediate medical attention. You would be yourself in an emergency, right? The Bible says that we've all been bitten by something more deadly than a rattlesnake. We've been bitten by the serpent. That is the devil. We've all bought his lies and, and, and have his venom running through our, our blood. And his poison kills. And this is why Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross to draw out all the poison into himself. It's a symbol of God's judgment itself. Snake on the tree. Jesus became that force on the cross. And as a result, he is able to offer us the anti-venom through trusting in him and believing in him. This is what he says. Everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. See, that's the good news of the gospel. That Jesus died in your place on the cross. He really died and went down into the grave and rose so that you could have eternal life. You could be the person that God designed you to be and created you, created you to be. Here's the good news. You don't have to let the snake kill you. That's the good news of the gospel. We've all been bit. We're all sinners in this room. right? And that bite ultimately leads to death and hell. So the good news of the gospel is an offer from God himself to you that he sent his son to rescue you, right? And the good news is you don't have to let the snake kill you, right? You need to go right now, if you haven't already done, to Jesus and come to believe in him and come to trust in him that he died for you and that he alone can save you from the venom of the serpent, the devil, and sin. All right, that's the gospel. That's the good news of the Scriptures. Now, what happens? 
What happens to somebody when, when the wind of the Spirit blows into their life? Right? What does it look like for someone to be born again? Here's, here's the first thing. I got two things. Number one is something happens to you. You don't get born again by your own effort or trying harder, doing more for God. It is something that happens to you. Here's what happens. You get confronted with Jesus. You get confronted with this good news story uh, that I'm talking about here about Jesus' death on the cross and his life. And you begin to see it as the truth. And you begin to feel like God is speaking directly to you. Maybe you feel like that in here, in this room here today. You feel like this, this message is for me. I feel like God is speaking to me. The words of the Bible, and when, they're, when you're hearing the words of the Scriptures, you feel like they're talking to you. That's what happens when you get uh, born again. And uh, just like when the breeze blows through your house in the spring, blows through the window, and you feel it on your skin, and it feels good, it's relaxing, it's peaceful, you begin to feel the effects of the Spirit in your life. You begin to feel like, Jesus died for you. And that you need him in your life. And, and then here's what happens. You slowly uh, start to realize something is happening to me. And you surprise yourself. Right? You're like, I'm believing a whole bunch of stuff I didn't believe before. And I, I want to do a whole bunch of stuff I didn't used to do. Right? Here, here's my testimony. I didn't have much background in the church. Uh, you know, growing up, look, early on I did, but then as a teenager on till I was 20, really nothing. And uh, I did not know who Jesus was as a 20-year-old. But then I got confronted with this message that I'm telling you guys about. And I got born again, but I didn't know I was born again. Okay? But people began to notice it in my life and say, yeah, Ricky's a Christian. He's saved. And stuff like this. And I'm like, what? That's kind of surprising. That, was, that's, that surprised me a little bit, okay? Um, so here's what happens. You begin to become curious about Jesus, just like Nicodemus, right? I think Nicodemus became a Christian. I think we'll see that later on in the book of John. But it started with his curiosity and his interest and his intrigue with Jesus. You want to look into it. He becomes attracted to you. And then you know what? You eventually believe. You eventually just come to Believe in Jesus. So that's number one. Number two is something can be seen in your life. Something can be seen in you. All right? That's number two. Um, I've got trees down everywhere at my house. Right? Over the past uh, year, um, you know, the wind has come through there and just, I mean, it's like 10 trees. So I was out there yesterday, you know, for several hours, cutting trees up, you know, trying to clean uh, the property up. But it was the effect of the wind, right? And when the Spirit is blowing in your life and moving in your life, there's tangible evidence. There's, there are effects that happen uh, in your life. And, uh, you know, Peter mentions a couple of these in, in his letter, 1 Peter. Well, let's look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And he's praising God here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But look at this. Because of his great mercy, he's given us new birth. See that? He's talking about being born again. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So what I want to do is just real quick look at a couple um, 
of the effects that Peter mentions uh, of, of the Spirit's work in someone's life when we're born again. And the first is love for Jesus. All right, You begin to love Jesus. Look what he says in verse 8. 1 Peter 1.8 Though you have not seen Him, that's Jesus. You love Him. And though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. That is amazing. Right? So when someone is born again, Jesus becomes the best thing in your life. That's just it. Right? He's number one. Right? When you're born again, you can't think of anything or anyone greater or better than Jesus, and He begins to affect every part of your life. He begins to change your life. And if you're here this morning and you, you are born again, you know what? He's still got some more work He's got to do on you. Right? He's still got more things that he, he wants to uh, change in your life. And you know what? You're okay with that because he's the best. You're okay with him, him moving stuff around and removing some stuff and adding some stuff and working on you. Right? You believe in Jesus and you love Jesus and you rejoice in Jesus. And, and here's what you want. You want to give your life to him. Isn't that right? When the Spirit of God is at work in your life, this is what Paul says, Therefore, because of the mercies of God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's what you want to do. You're like, sign me up for that. My whole life I give to Jesus. I want to follow Him and sacrifice my life to love and serve Him. Because He's worth it. He's the best. Number two is you love the truth. Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, 22 and 23. Since you have purified yourselves, look at this, by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other. From a pure heart, love one another constantly because you have been born again. See it? Not of, in, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. Loving the truth looks like obedience to God's Word. When you are born again, you see this book right here, every single word, every single I, and every single cross on the T. 100% God's word, God's truth. So, instead of the snake venom, instead of drinking the snake venom, you drink the anti-venom, which is God's word, which is the truth of the Scriptures. And you know what? Obedience to this book right here drives the venom out. It drives the poison uh, out of your soul. It, it drives all the lies, right? And all the confusion out of your soul. And you know what? Look what it says here. Uh, go back to the first, uh, first verse there. Since you have purified yourselves, look at this. Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth. You see that? Right? Loving the truth purifies your soul. Right? And you know what? That's amazing. It is good to be pure, right? Loving the Bible purifies you, right? If you're here this morning and you feel dirty, ashamed, right? What we're saying here is coming to believe in Jesus and obeying the truth drives all that out. It, it cleans you up. It cleanses you, right? It is amazing. It's good to be pure. And that's real sanity, by the way. That's some, that's some real sanity uh, in your life. Right? So, 
This means that being born again is just the beginning of a whole new life. Right? When you are born again, that is the when you were born, that was the beginning of your life. You got a whole life ahead of yourself. Right? So when you become a Christian, you get born again, that's the beginning. Right? And then you come to love the truth, and you love the truth your whole life long until you also are raised up with Christ. Right? See, when Jesus says, the Son of Man will be lifted up. He's not just talking about his death. He, in the book of John, Jesus goes up onto the cross and then up out of the grave. Right? See, one day when Jesus returns, you're going to be lifted up with him. You're going to be lifted up out of the grave. Right? Because Jesus is going to make everything new again. And there is a call here to keep on going in the Christian life. To Grow in Jesus. To follow Jesus. To keep obeying Jesus. To keep seeking Jesus. To keep making progress with Jesus. To keep fighting sin, the devil, lies. And to never give up. And to never stop. This is what it means to be born again. Last, it means we got love for each other. Isn't that what Peter says here in this passage? It says it right here. So that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart. Love one another constantly. And he goes on, he says here, because you've been born again. Right? Evidence, just like the trees are down in my yard, is evidence of the wind. Evidence that you are born again is that you love each other. Right? Isn't that what Jesus said? What are the greatest commandments that Jesus said? Love for God. Love for your neighbor. Better start with your Christian neighbor, okay? You want to hang out with other Christians. Christians are your best friends, right? That's what it looks like to be born again. You want to spend time with them. And look what it says here. Uh, go back one slide. Yeah. It is sincere, right? It is, it's real. This is not fake. Right? This is not a game or a show. We're not putting on a front and just acting like we got it all together or whatever, acting like good religious moral people. It is real brotherly love for each other from a pure heart. You see that? I don't have anything against you. I'm not bitter towards you. I'm not assuming things about you. I hope the best for you. I assume the best about you. I got any ill will, evil in my heart towards you. I'm not trying to manipulate you or use you. You see that? Pure. Because you've been cleansed. And you've been purified. And he says here that it's constant. Constant. That means we do it throughout the week. Right? And we don't ever stop. We don't give up. We don't, we don't give up on other Christians. We don't just write them off. Like we, I texted him one time. He never texted me back. Good riddance. Yeah. Come on, man. We got, we got to be. How patient has God been with you? you got to show something like that towards other people because that's what it looks like to be born again. And that ought to be the spring breeze that blows throughout the church is this love that we have for one another. It ought, it ought to be what is blowing and, and just making everybody feel good and feel peaceful. Um, this, is, this ought to be normal Christian experience in the life of the church. Is a real love. And if you've been born again, as Peter says, to a living hope, 
one day, what you hope for is going to come true. And on that day, everybody's going to know that being born again was just the beginning. It was just a sample of what Jesus came uh, to do. Right? Because He's coming again one day to draw all the poison out of this world. And on that day, just like Isaiah says, right, man, everything's going to leap for joy. There's going to be unending, unending joy when there's no more sin. There's no more serpent. Right? All that's thrown straight into hell. Right? And we get to live in a resurrected world with our Lord and with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to respond to now.